Hello, and welcome to this podcast from Consider This. Please let me know what you think and tell others about us on social media. This podcast was originally broadcast live on Northumberland 89.7 FM. You can hear this show live every Friday at noon. Thank you for downloading this program, and I hope you enjoy it. Hello, I'm Robert Washburn, and welcome to Consider This Northumberland, a current affairs program dedicated to the issues facing our community. We talk to the people on the front lines and those behind the scenes who make a difference in your life in Northumberland County. So I'm asking you, the listener, to take some time out of your busy day to consider this. While Brighton Council must address concerns raised by residents, it also faces new pressures from the Ontario government. Late last year, new policies governing the planning process were put in place. These include cutting development costs, streamlining approvals, and speeding up the building of affordable housing. Mayor Brian Ostrander will talk about his reaction to the residents and their presentation at a public meeting on January 16th. He will also address the new rules imposed by the province around the approval process. This is one of the first proposals in Northumberland County to fall under the new legislation. Many residents and politicians will be watching closely. I'm so pleased to have with me today Brighton Mayor Brian Ostrander. Welcome back to Consider This. Thanks, Robert. It's a pleasure to be back. I wanted to talk to you about a planning committee meeting on January 16th that was very well attended and there were many presentations from the public. How would you characterize the overall response of the residents to the proposal being put forward for Gosport? Well, I, I think it's easy to characterize uh, the response from the residents as, as certainly not in favor of uh, moving forward with that development. But um, I would I would say they were uh, uh, entirely uh, polite and uh, had their had all their uh, proverbial ducks in a row, uh, did their research and uh, provided council with some um, food for thought uh, as we as we move this planning process forward and and uh, ask our staff to bring forward a recommendation for council's consideration. If you were to describe the proposal for those who might be unfamiliar with the area, can you tell us what the developer wants to build and where it's located? Sure. So um, Gosport is a, a peninsula in Brighton uh, with with one road access into the uh, uh, into the community, if you will, the neighborhood. Uh, the uh, parcel of land that's uh, being considered is. Uh, abuts um, marshland, um, marshland with some significant uh, um, species of risk uh, dwelling in there, um, as, as I suppose many, many marshes do have. Uh, the proposal is, I believe it's 32 um, two- and three-story condominium townhouse uh, units. Now, there were a number of presentations that night on January 16th, and one of them argued that there were numerous errors in official documents. And I've talked to other residents and other opponents, and they also spotted a lot of mistakes, simple things like streets, names that don't even exist, or uh, some of the, the facts and figures that just didn't add up. When you heard that information... 
Was it significant to you or did it give you pause for thought? Well, you know, any time uh, the, the professionals make these kinds of errors, you always you always wonder how much effort has gone into preparing the documentation. And if, you know, uh, frankly, I, I think I'm repeating one of the residents. If, if small errors are being, many small errors are being made in the preparation of documents um, from an editorial perspective, what other errors are being made? It, it does provide, provide opportunity for pause, that's for sure. Now, what options does council have to it? When you see something like this, what sort of things do you do or does staff do? How do you handle it? Well, we're, we're required to move a planning process forward. So if, you know, if a developer says, here's, here's my planning application, it, you know, it's complete, uh, provided that they're giving the municipality all of the documentation that has been asked for, um, whether whether we like the wording or the editorial comments or not, uh, we're required to then um, move, move that process forward. So we have a very specific timeline under the Planning Act uh, to make a decision, and um, we have uh, moved forward to the statutory public meeting. You noted that it was well attended, and, and lots of uh, information came forward from the citizenry. Uh, so council did receive uh, that report. Uh, we received the comments and questions from the citizens, and we have asked our planning staff to uh, consider all of the information and bring back a report and a recommendation to council at a future meeting. Another concern that was raised uh, at the meeting was the environmental assessment. And um, the, the developer has submitted a document that was uh, meant to address these concerns. And yet residents seem to be overwhelmingly concerned about this. And you even referred to in your earlier uh, description as the development is adjacent to a provincially significant marshland. And uh, there was even, I think, a retired uh, employee of Presqu'ile Park who was a naturalist for many, many years talked about the wildlife, the fish, the turtles, the birds, uh, the habitat, the marshland itself. When you, when you heard that being presented, how much weight does that information carry in terms of helping you as a council to determining uh, how you may go forward? Well, it's it's certainly like I, like I said before, it certainly provides us with a moment of, of pause, and um, we we want to seek clarity on uh, what is and, and is not uh, permitted on these lands. Uh, as of you know, if if we're to believe the information coming forward from the developer, it's it's all good to go. But of course, you know, it is exactly why we provide opportunities for peer reviewing and why we provide opportunities for assessment and why we look to the citizenry to come to us and let us know what their concerns are. So we're, you know, we're, we're not going to just uh, carte blanche allow something to happen that, that isn't appropriate in that area. And if, in fact, uh, the concerns that have been brought forward with regard to species at risk and um, the provincially significant wetlands and the concerns that, you know, a development of this nature will have, uh, for that, it, it will all have to be considered by staff, first by staff, uh, during the recommendation stage, and then again by council when we go to make a decision one way or the other. 
Now, I understand there's been some changes in the last few months uh, in terms of provincial expectations and and um, uh, that have impacted the planning process. And in the past, the Lower Trent Regional Conservation Authority, who would have expertise in this area, would be one of the agencies that would be consulted. But that's not the case anymore under the new legislation. Where are you getting expertise to help you interpret and make decisions, particularly around environmental issues? Well, first I'll say we do not have people on staff. Um, we, we have always relied on the Lower Trent Conservation Authority for that process. And uh, it's my understanding that because this application began in advance of the uh, passage of um, the legislation we're talking about that eliminates those those opportunities, uh, that we can still rely on the Lower Trent for for their uh, interpretation and, and their guidance on this file. Um, but you raise an important concern moving forward, and that is how, how are we going to be impacted by uh, changes to the conservation authorities? How are all municipalities going to be impacted by changes to the conservation authorities across Ontario if we don't have those experts to rely on, if, we, in fact, we're not allowed to use those experts or the conservation authorities aren't allowed to make comments uh, on on these applications. You know, who indeed do we go to? Will we have to hire uh, these kinds of professionals to do that? Um, I don't know the answer to that, um, and and that is one of the concerns I have, and one of the the questions I've had all along is how much is this actually going to cost the property taxpayer as we endeavor to fill the gaps that have that have been created here. When you create development, you want new things to fit into the community where it's being built. And some of the residents are arguing that this development of a low-rise building of uh, townhouses does not fit in with the neighborhood. How does council look at things like that and make decisions to ensure that there's a harmonious uh, environment uh, b- when you do new developments? Quite right. A council will have to consider whether or not um, a two and or three story style townhouse condominium development is in fact uh, in keeping with the nature of, of this neighborhood and um, whether that fits in place. I, I think under planning, um, what we might hear is, uh, you know, because because of zoning, uh, because of um, the level of uh, potential building, it, it, it is okay to fit this into a neighborhood from you know from a purely um, 10,000 foot level planning perspective but I think as a council as you know representatives of a local community and as you know <laughs> representatives of our neighbors we have to uh, take a bit more of a, a, a microscope to this and say does this does this really fit into this particular neighborhood you know we're not talking about R1, R2, R3, R4 on a map, uh, we're talking about actually, uh, you know, trying to visualize whether this kind of housing fits into uh, an older um, single-family bungalow-style neighborhood. And that'll be, uh, that'll be have, have to be a consideration that uh, the seven members of council uh, need, to, need to work through around that table. 
Affordable housing has been a very high topic in many people's uh, view. And I know when you were running for mayor, uh, you and I talked about this, uh, about the importance of housing the homeless, but also having affordable accommodations for people living in Brighton. How does this proposal fit into those goals and objectives that you had set out in your campaign? Well, I don't. I, this does not check that box. Um, this is uh, this is uh, housing for for people who can afford to get in, or are already in the market, who can afford to be in the market. Um, this is not what we would consider affordable or necessarily attainable housing. Uh, and to be frank, I don't think the developer is even claiming that it does. So. Um, you know, this is not uh, not part and parcel of that policy framework, um, and you know, it's it, it's also not a, a large development that not, not what we would think of as a large development. So, not a lot of opportunity for uh, those kinds of affordable, attainable um, housing opportunities in this uh, smaller parcel of land. One of the more interesting documents that was submitted to the the town was an archaeological report. And in it, it identifies some culturally significant items being found on the lands of pre-contact Indigenous people. How do you see this going forward? I know the, the report recommends further digs and further investigation. How do you see Council going forward on this aspect of the report? I think that was one of the questions that council had is what, what is the next step from, from an archeological assessment perspective? And um, certainly the recommendation in the report that the developer handed over was that it needed to go to the next step. Uh, it's my understanding that um, the indigenous community is involved or has been consulted or is being consulted on this. Um, we certainly hope that that's the case. And uh, I can tell you, I will have a close eye on that uh, when any any new report comes forward I'm going to want to know for sure uh, what uh, what our what our friends in the indigenous community have had to say about this uh, before we can even think about moving it forward another group that's raised concerns and was very vocal was the yacht club and they talked about the potential impact on uh, because they are the adjacent property owners. There was talk about property lines, about pedestrian traffic, property damage. But more importantly, they talked about how they use part of their lands for dredging in order to sustain the yacht club. And in fact, they, they talked about registering things on title so that when people bought the uh, the condominiums, they would be aware that there might be some things going on that uh, might not be visually uh, uh, appealing or um, that they may not expect. These are, are important things. How does council handle something like that? Can you explain the process so to ensure that there's the buyer beware, but also that the yacht club's concerns get met? Yeah, I think I think in this particular case, you know, it's very much like uh, what what we might see in the north part of our community uh, if if a, a rural development were to happen near a farm field, then we'd want to make sure that um, you know the sights and sounds and smells of farming were uh, were captured in in materials, marketing materials, and legal materials, so that new owners were aware 
you know, just because there's not a tractor running today when you sign that document doesn't mean that manure isn't going to be spread tomorrow or in three weeks. Um, so very similar uh, in this scenario because, the you know, the sights and sounds and smells of dredging and dewatering um, adjacent to a new townhome development uh, might not be what a new owner has in mind for their uh, their new property. So we're going to want to make sure uh, through legal means that all of that information is captured on, on title um, so that new owners are, are abundantly aware that, uh, you know, these activities happen because it may not happen on the year, assuming that the development were to move forward, it might not happen on the year that someone were to purchase a property. It might happen the next year. And then all of a sudden it seems like a surprise to them, even though it's been happening for years. Uh, so we're going to absolutely, should this move forward, absolutely want to make sure that uh, the yacht club's protected, the municipality's protected, and frankly, the new owners uh, are protected. There were some petitions that were handed to council. I believe one of them had uh, uh, 1,100 signatures on it. I believe there was another one that was online with 965 uh, signatures on it. What role do petitions play when council does the deliberations in Brighton? We have to consider everyone's opinion, and that certainly allows us to uh, know um, that there is a significant number of people who who have uh, formed an opinion around this that is not uh, not necessarily a positive opinion about moving this forward. So I think it does, uh, it certainly plays a factor. One of the things we've alluded to in our conversation, but I want to explore more deeply, is the impact of Bill 23, which uh, um, talks about creating more streamlined uh, process for planning, also trying to jumpstart more affordable housing, and made some major changes within the system. And this is probably one of the first uh, proposals that council has dealt with in this new system. Can you describe some of the challenges that... um, your staff and council are facing as you uh, put your launch your first uh, attempts to to deal with a development under the new rules. Well, I think in many ways uh, this this application may very well tell us uh, what the pressures are going to be as we move forward in the new planning regime, uh, based on Bill Twenty Three and other bills that have have changed the landscape uh, for municipalities as we. Um, move through the the land use planning application processes. So um, I'm still in in a wait and see mode. Council's still in a wait and see mode. Um, I've already mentioned that I have very serious concerns about um, having to increase our staffing levels in order to uh, make up for review opportunities that don't exist anymore through conservation authorities. we know that development charges will be lost uh, or we can no longer apply development charges to uh, certain um, on, on certain things. So we will lose uh, key revenues for infrastructure, pro- future infrastructure projects. Um, but really, I mean, the, and now the province is saying they will endeavor to make the municipalities whole. Um, we wait and see. Uh, there's been no rolled out plan as to how that's going to happen. So we don't know for sure, well, what making us whole will look like. Um, part of that apparently is is now a, an audit of our, our reserve funds. So you know, my fear, of course, is that those of us um, 
people uh, like Brighton, uh, municipalities like Brighton that have been very fiscally responsible over the course of many years, tens of years, generations even, uh, may be punished uh, for for that fiscal responsibility and uh, communities that have, you know, sort of wavered on the cusp of, oh no, may may see that they're, they are in fact being made whole. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I'm, I'm speculating and maybe that's not fair, but um, it is a worry, um, but more so, more so the concern is the pressures on our planning department as they are asked to uh, complete applications faster uh, with the same amount of staff and uh, what the implications of um, having to add staff in a regime that's telling us we can't then charge for it. So I, I just, I, I'm just, I'm, I'm concerned. I'm, I'm, I'm eyeballing a future that's going to cost my existing taxpayers more money in order to continue to do the same kinds of work we've been doing. You've mentioned so many things that are, are so significant, and I, I'm, I guess one of the things is is the timeline, and is council feeling the pressure politically under this new regime to get this done fast? Um, and what is council's attitude or even your attitude towards being pushed through on something you're not comfortable with? Well, I've, I've, I've been clear to our, our staff, that, you know, what, what we'll do is we'll, we'll do what we can do. Um, but nobody is going to, you know, we're not going to push people to the brink in order to, uh, ensure that, planning applications are done faster. I, you, you know, um, we don't want mistakes being made. Uh, we want to make sure all of the I's are dotted, the T's are crossed, the, the proper legislation is being adhered to, and all the reports are appropriate, that we in fact have all of those assessments and impacts and understand what, you know, all the things that we ask for, from traffic to environmental concerns. We want to make sure all of those things are being captured in a planning document. Um, at the end of the day, if if uh, a developer feels that we're taking too too long to complete that application, they have remedy under the Ontario Land Tribunal's rules to uh, to file an appeal for non decision. And I guess if the developer feels that they they can get a, a better deal at the OLT, uh, then through uh, proper and and good negotiations with the municipality, then then that's a route they can take. Um, Frankly, I think that would just overwhelm the Ontario Land Tribunal in terms of its ability to make decisions because we know we know they're already overwhelmed. So, uh, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, do I think that Bill 23 has a laudable goal of putting more affordable housing in the market faster? I absolutely do. I just, I just, I'm just suspect that in fact uh, we'll be able to do that based on uh, what Bill 23 offers. One of the other things about the the new legislation and the new rules is something called a ministerial zoning order where uh, developers can go straight to the minister and he can override anything so a development can go through. What's your thoughts on that aspect of this process? Because you mentioned a lot of things, but you didn't talk to that specifically. Are you concerned that this developer can just sit quiet, sit tight, and then just uh, you know, jump over the whole process and go straight to the minister and and get his approval. Well, that's that's always a, a concern. I mean, M- MZOs aren't new; uh, they've been around a long time. Uh, this government seems to use them a little uh, more freely than than other governments. Uh, 
of course, you know, Bright, Brighton has not been impacted by that. The, the typical use of an MZO is when the municipality seeks that opportunity and, and says to the minister, you know, we, we would like this done faster than the Planning Act allows us to get it done. We know the importance of this particular I'm not talking about the one we're talking about, but, you know, a particular development, we would want it done faster for perhaps economic development purposes, perhaps affordable housing purposes. And the minister can help a municipality out that way. Um, the, the Certainly the concern I'm hearing is that um, uh, developers will, will go to the minister and ask for this to happen. Uh, and that is the sweeping change we're, we're worried that we'll see. So... Um, we haven't seen that happen in Brighton. Uh, we certainly hope that um, we continue to have good negotiations with our developers and are able to work with our developers for land use planning purposes. Um, I, I never, you know, I never think it's a good idea for uh, the province to come along and, you know, make sweeping changes to a local uh, municipality without the input of, of our council and, and the the people who will be impacted the most, and that's the neighborhood. You raised a lot of concerns, both your own and of council. Have you spoken directly to MPP David Pacini about these concerns? Uh, um, the MPP is certainly aware of my concerns and the concerns of, uh, I think, all seven of our uh, municipalities across Northumberland County. Um, we have raised these issues through motions at the county level and and at the local level. So, uh, so yeah, MPP Puccini is certainly aware of of Brighton's concerns and Northumberland County's concerns. Another big issue that Brighton faces is its uh, water and sewage treatment, and I am I'm aware that um, there are uh, quite a number of other developments that are are uh, in the in the pipeline being wanting to be cons- uh, considered by council. I, I think there's a a two story townhouse unit uh, with eighty. 84 uh, townhouses. There's a another one with 120 uh, 120 residential units. Um, there's another one with 94 townhouses. Um, another one with 88 units. Uh, there's a lot of a lot of development going on, and um, capacity is is always a big issue, and the environmental concerns. How are you, is council going to be managing with all this stuff on its plate? Is there a concern that there is capacity that these things can go forward? Certainly that concern exists. And uh, our planners have been very clear with developers and council has been very clear with developers as we um, approve phases or stages in phases uh, in the, in the latest uh, round of, of approvals, we very specifically included wording in in the, um, approval that before any build-out can go, it can begin, uh, assessment on capacity must be approved by the planning department. In other words, we must know that if you're adding a house, we'll, we'll be able to manage, uh, the, the sewage capacity for that, for that house or for that, uh, particular area of the development, that stage of the development. Um, because we are aware that uh, we do need to upgrade that plant, um, not just from a treatment perspective uh, in order to stop the ammonia, but at some point we're going to need to upgrade that plant also for uh, capacity purposes. Uh, 
we believe that the the new system that we have proposed will uh, have opportunity to add capacity, but we are not seeking a change to our certificate of approval to add capacity. We are only seeking opportunity to fix the uh, ammonia at the moment. Going back to the Gosport proposal, so how does this go forward? You've alluded to a couple of things, but can you give us a, a bit of a timeline and a process uh, for people listening so that they can know what's coming up? Sure. Next steps um, are no doubt, uh, well, the, 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 at the statutory public meeting, I think I mentioned, we asked uh, staff to consider all of the information they have, all the reports, all the information that came from the public, uh, all the questions that have been asked both at the meeting and before and after that meeting. Uh, in, include all that information uh, and provide council with a report and recommendation. Uh, staff have advised that they think the, the earliest we would see that would be uh, March at the March planning meeting. Um, but we'll we'll wait and see. We like I said, we want to make sure that everyone has the time to analyze this properly and provide a good recommendation to council. With all the things we've talked about, especially with the new provincial regulations, are other municipal leaders in Northumberland watching what's going on right now with Brighton? Are you like one of the first that, that are sort of going through these new hoops? And is that of interest to your colleagues across the county? Uh, good, good question uh, for them. I don't know. Um, they haven't certainly haven't uh, expressed to me that they're watching this particular development closely. I think this development's a bit of an odd oddball because part of it um, must must will will have to uh, be in the new regime because of the, the development charges issue. But part of it because the whole application process began before Bill Twenty Three was uh, was passed um, doesn't is not included in that regime. So I th- I think it's a bit of a uh, parse together uh, application from a legislative perspective, but um, the fact of the matter is, our planning staff will have to consider uh, the new legislation uh, in their in their recommendation. That's that's their duty, uh, whether we like it or not. Brian Ostrander, thank you so much for talking to me today. Thank you, Robert. I appreciate your time. That was Mayor Brian Ostrander. I want to thank my guests this week for talking to me. And I want to thank all the listeners for tuning in today. Please join me again next week when we will talk to the people on the front lines and those behind the scenes who make a difference in your life and Northumberland County. So please tune in. If you would like to listen or share this or any podcast, please check out my website at consider-this.ca. There you will find past podcasts, news, and other information about life and politics in Northumberland County. Or you can go to the radio station's website at northumberland897.ca. I'm Robert Washburn. Thanks for taking time out of your day to listen in. And I hope over the week you will continue to consider this. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Consider This. If you have any comments or would like to suggest a story, please contact me at Consider this Northumberland at gmail.com or you can message me on Facebook at Consider This. If you enjoyed this podcast or are looking for more news and information about Northumberland County, please check out my website at consider-this.ca. That's consider-this.ca. And don't forget to share. And again, thank you for listening and stay tuned for more from Consider This.